going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? It's playoff time, Bob, so things are going great here. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah, very simple intro from, from my brother there, but he's correct. MLB postseason is upon us. We got the wild card games happening uh, Tuesday of this week, and the Indians set to start the ALDS on Thursday, depending, uh, opponent depending on the results of that wild card game. Chris, postseason baseball is back. We got uh, a big taste of it last year from these Indians. How excited are you to have a second season of MLB baseball involving the Indians? I, I mean, exceptionally excited. I, I just. I know everyone says that playoff hockey is the best, and I don't know. I've never been to a playoff hockey game. I'll probably never get to go to a playoff football game because the Browns will probably never get there in my <laughs> lifetime. Certainly not good enough to host one. Uh, I've been to playoff basketball. I've been to playoff baseball. And I, I got to tell you, live playoff baseball, it would be hard-pressed for any other sport to beat it. I, I just I, I can't see any other sport being as intense. Maybe football because it's the one-and-done atmosphere of football. But to me, baseball, just the, the tension, it builds so beautifully. The sport allows for these moments to get nerve-wrackingly tense. I, I love it. And, and it's a hundred times better when you have a team in the race and especially when that team is your favorite team in all the sports I, I'm a huge Indians fan obviously but of the three the, the Indians are my favorite team they always have been and always will be and uh, if they were to deliver a World Series that would just be an amazing moment for me to see my favorite team win a championship yeah for sure uh, Indians are, are by far my favorite Cleveland sport team that's just uh due in part to the fact that they were the, the most exciting team in Cleveland when I was a child growing up. Uh, baseball became my first love and, and one of the first reasons why I love Cleveland sports. So for them to be in this position, poised to, to make another deep run in uh, chasing that first World Series title in over 50 years uh, would is amazing and, and really exciting for me. And then, yeah, I mean, Chris, uh, you and I have gone to many Indians uh, postseason games together or not many but we've gone to a few uh, we've also gone to many postseason Cavs games together uh, for me the there is by far more tension excitement uh, than the in, in those Indians games than, than there were in the Cavs games that's not to say they weren't fun those Cavs games weren't fun but the Indians postseason baseball uh those events where somebody hits a big home run, makes a play, uh, when your team strikes out the the batter in, in a pivotal moment with runners on uh, and, and the score is tight, uh, it doesn't get more tense than that. Uh, f- for me, I, I've never watched something more exciting than some postseason baseball. So I am so, so excited that the Indians are back. And uh, Chris, finishing with the, the best record in the American League, that means they have home field advantage throughout the uh, ALDS and ALCS, um, they, they look poised for, for a deep run. Uh, one of the reasons they are in this position is uh, their, their their depth. So um, 
obviously they're talented on on all sides of the ball but what what are some keys to the tribes making another deep run well they always say pitching wins october and and i don't think that it's any different for the cleveland indians uh, when you look at the rotation Corey kluber a former cy young winner a current cy young contender and i don't care who wins the cy young award I defy you to find a pitcher who's pitching better than Corey Kluber right now. You would be hard-pressed to do it. With all due respect to Clayton Kershaw and some of the other great aces out there, I think Corey Kluber is pitching his best right now. And he's been doing that for the last two months or so. So right there, you have a bona fide ace that you're going to have to beat at least once. You're going to see him at least twice, but you're going to have to beat him at least once. Good luck with that. Even if you get past Kluber, Carlos Carrasco and Trevor Bauer are also pitching about as good as any pitcher in the majors. Not quite good as good as Kluber. And yeah, some of those other guys might be pitching a little bit better, but they're right on that level with the elites of baseball. The Indians have a deck of aces in their rotation. When you're talking about guys like Mike Clevenger and Danny Salazar coming out of the bullpen, I mean, that is how deep they are. Josh Tomlin is more than a serviceable fourth starter. He showed last year that he can be relied on in big games. He pitched outstanding until game six of the World Series when he had to do it on three days rest. And and that's tough for him given his injury history, given his innings workload last year. I don't think you can ask a guy like Josh Tomlin to pitch on short rest. He's not going to have to do that this year. He's probably only going to pitch two, maybe three games at the most this postseason. I just, at the end of the day, Bob, if the Indians pitchers, Kluber, Carrasco, and Bauer, are pitching the way they have been the last six weeks or so, I don't see how they lose a series. I cannot see a team beating them in a series just because it is an overwhelming advantage that they have compared to the rest of the teams in this field. Yeah, uh, starting pitching for sure. Uh, I I agree with you a hundred percent. This Indians pitching staff has been fantastic. Uh, finally fulfilling the expectations that we've had for them for a, a couple years now, and and part of that is the consistency, but also uh, you know another part is that is that they're entering this postseason completely healthy. I mean, if not for a line drive baseball off of Carrasco's hand uh, last September. Uh, the Indians might win a World Series, and they would have had Carrasco in that postseason. Uh, they would have had some pitching depth. I mean, Chris, uh, Josh Tomlin is your number four. Mike Clevenger's in the bullpen. Danny Salazar and Ryan Merritt might not even make the postseason roster, and, and they, they are eligible and, and healthy and, and able to do so. I mean, they, they're deep in their starting pitching. Last year, uh, you know, Ryan Merritt came out of nowhere starting that ALCS uh, game game five Uh it's just uh, they're they're incredible. This pitching staff is fantastic. I'm looking at some stats uh, as a pitching staff uh, that Fangraphs drew drew up, and they're comparing to the mid '90s Braves, the early 2000s Yankees, 2011 Phillies. I mean, these these are historically great pitching staffs that had two to three dominant pitchers on it, and I think the Indians have that. Uh, another key. Uh, especially as we go into postseason baseball, it is the bullpen. And I think some great news happened at the end of the regular season with Andrew Miller not only coming back but looking dominant and doing 
uh, doing so in consecutive appearances at, at the end of uh, the regular season. So now they have a, a, a great pitching staff, better than last year. Corey Kluber, as you said, pitching possibly even better baseball that, than he did last year. Carlos Carrasco, a better number two than anything they ever had last year. And, and Trevor Bauer certainly uh, has improved by leaps and bounds, uh, especially in the second half of the season. You have those three. And now you have Andrew Miller, who looks like he's back to his old self, able to come in at, at, at a moment's notice and shut a game down. So pitching, uh, good luck to anybody. I know that the Red Sox and the Yankees are, are trying to, to to match the Indians in their pitching and are making some interesting moves uh, with their bullpen, but the, the Indians are the team to be in, in, in regards to pitching in the American League, and I think they're going to ride that uh, throughout uh, the ALDS and ALCS. Yeah, and, and you just scratched the surface with Andrew Miller, Bob. I mean, we talked about Clevenger and Salazar coming out of the bullpen. Bob, on other teams, Clevenger and Salazar would be in the rotation. On other teams in this field, not not just in the baseball, there are about three or four other teams in the postseason where Clevenger and Salazar would be asked to be your second or third starter. They're in the bullpen with Andrew Miller. They also have Cody Allen, who is a hammer of a closer. They've got... Dan Otero and Joe Smith, who can come up and mop up anything. Brian Shaw gets hammered for his inconsistencies, but he is a very good reliever. And when he's your fourth or fifth best reliever, that is excellent. And let's not forget about Tyler Olsen, who has added another dimension to this bullpen by being another solid lefty that Tito can call upon. Uh, This bullpen has been phenomenal all year long, but now it's at full strength. It's getting two other pieces that normally would be in the rotation to come out of the bullpen. I mean, Bob, I mean, just just top to bottom, you look at that 12-man staff from starter to bullpen, good luck. I, I Really, I, I, if somebody beats the Indians, they've earned it because this, I think, is the most complete pitching staff, 1 through 12, in the field and in all of baseball. Yeah, I, 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 you would be hard-pressed to, to find another team that comes close. Uh, from the ace and Corey Kluber down to the the back end of that bullpen and Miller and and, and uh, Cody Allen for, for sure. Um, you know Dan, Danny Salazar is in an interesting position uh, with his inconsistencies, his injury uh, prone season. Uh, he may not even make this postseason roster. He he is certainly his spot is up for grabs. Twenty uh, five man roster for for the postseason. You know trimming that back down from forty. Chris, uh, is Salazar's spot at risk? Who are some other names to look out for that um, may make the cut or, or might not? Well, this is what you want to file under the category of good problems to have because while the Indians do have a very tough decision to make, I, I think that these are good problems to have. Look, we're, we're rattling off a bunch of names here. You can only choose 25, and, and I, I count by my count about 30 or 31 guys that you could make an argument for to be on this roster. I think there are about 23 guys who are safe. And Danny Salazar is someone I have marked as safe because I think that um, I, I just think he's going to be on the roster coming out of the bullpen. There are three spots I have up for grabs. Two of them are going to be intriguing. Jason Kipnis and Michael Brantley. I think Jason Kipnis is probably going to make the roster because he's further along in his rehab. 
He is trying to play center field. And if needed, he can play second base if you need a better bat as opposed to Yershela and Yandy Diaz if one of those guys starts struggling. Um, Michael Brantley is going to be more interesting. I'm not 100% sure if he's going to make it. And then there's the bubble between Greg Allen, Yandy Diaz, Nick Goody, and Abraham Almonte. I don't think Almonte will make it. I think he's probably the furthest away from the bubble. Uh, and, and, and Ryan Merritt, you mentioned earlier, would also be on that bubble. I didn't write his name down, but he would also be on that bubble. And I think if Danny Salazar is left off this um, roster, it would probably be for Ryan Merritt or Nick Goody just to give uh, Tito another guy he can go to um, out of that bullpen. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the 25-man roster comes out. Um, I think Jason Kipnis is another lock at 23, and then it's going to be interesting to see if, if Brantley gets the nod, and if not, I would imagine Yandy Diaz would get the nod, and, and then it would either be Greg Allen, Nick Goody, or um, Ryan Merritt. Yeah, I, I don't think Salazar's going to be on this roster because you have overlap with Clevenger heading to the bullpen. Clevenger's been better and more reliable this season. Uh, I think they're going to want to, to have as many uh, reliable bullpen arms as as they can, and uh, as good as Salazar can be, he's not been reliable this season. I think Nick Goody's uh, job, er, Nick Goody is going to make the roster over Salazar. Uh, you know, Jason Kipnis making that move to center field in September, I think that pushes Michael Brantley out. I, I, I don't think he's going to be uh, on this ALDS roster, especially you just don't know what he can give you. Uh, Jason Kipnis has proven that he can service in, in the outfield and, and be productive at, at the plate. Um, I, I know he's still working through some injuries and uh, getting back into shape, but he, he is already working through that at the major league level. I'm not sure Brantley, uh, you can, you can rely on him in, in the postseason like that. Um, and I think Yandy Diaz and Urshela also will, will be on this roster, uh, in the infield. Um, yeah, I don't, I didn't, uh, sit down and list out all 25 guys, but I do think those are names that, that will be featured on this roster. I think they've just been too, uh, too valuable uh, in, in the second half or Shella and, and Diaz to, to all of a sudden not have them as options uh, in the postseason. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I think I think if Michael Brantley is seriously being considered for this roster, then Yandy Diaz's spot is in jeopardy. But I don't see, I agree with you, I don't see how you can leave Diaz off if you're going to play Ramirez at second base because you're going to want to have someone to help out your or your Shella if he struggles you can always move your Shella over to second if something were to get injured but yeah I, I think Yandy Diaz will make the cut which you know puts it up to 24 and then the big question to me would be Greg Allen or Michael Brantley do you go with the younger pinch runner type guy and a guy who you can play center field defensively on the games you start Kipnis like say after five six innings when you have a lead and you want to protect it um, and, and then it's going to be interesting to see between Salazar, Goody, and Merritt. I'm actually going to disagree with you here, Bob. I do think Danny Salazar is going to get the nod just because the last couple days he's starting to round. He's, he's shown that you know he's got some things back, and I, I just think Salazar just has so much talent. I, I think that they like him coming out of the bullpen. He's probably he's not going to be the long reliever because Mike Clevenger is that, but I think that they would like to have another guy to call upon 
in relief in, in, with the skill set of Danny Salazar. So I do think he will get the nod over Goody and Merritt. Um, and, and I'm actually also leading towards Greg Allen being on the roster over Michael Brantley with Jason Kipnis also occupying one of those last three spots. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think Salazar probably poses the the biggest question and also probably the biggest risk. Uh, that's not to say that they don't leave him off for the ALDS and, and keep him on for the ALCS when, when you need more uh, longer pitching. So uh, we, we'll have to see. Uh, that announcement has not been made. Um, but we'll find out quickly uh, as the ALDS opens on Thursday. Another question mark is who the Indians will face uh, in that opening game in Cleveland. Uh, the wild card matchup between the New York Yankees and Minnesota Twins is set to start on Tuesday. It's a one-game play-in. Whoever wins that will travel to Cleveland to play the Indians on Thursday. Chris, it's Irving Santana versus Luis Severiano uh, on the Yankees side. Uh, who do you like better in, in this uh, game to win it? And then who do you pref- who would you prefer to win it uh, based off of the Indians having greater success against? So first off, Bob, I want to correct you just slightly there. I don't like calling this game a play-in game. Both these teams are in the playoffs. This is the wild card game. It's a one-game series. They are both playoff teams. They're not playing to get in. They're in the playoffs. It starts with this wild, fun playoff mm-hmm. game that you and I had the pleasure of going to in 2013. Unfortunately, the Tribe was on the um, short end of that stick. Uh, there was a playing game to get to that game, too, with Tampa Bay and Texas. But uh, to answer your question, who would I rather play? I think a lot of people are saying Minnesota, and, and I really can't disagree. The big advantage Cleveland's going to have is that Irvin Santana and Luis Servino are easily these two teams' best pitchers. By pitching them Tuesday, they cannot pitch twice in the ALDS. Not because, you know, they, they could, I guess, if you want to bring one back on two days rest, but that's really unheard of. So the 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 pitcher in that game is going to pitch game three. That gives the Indians a huge advantage because now these two teams that really beyond those guys, I mean, I know the Yankees have Sonny Gray and the, the Twins don't have much beyond Santana. They're going to have to rely on some other guys to pitch multiple games against the Indians' big aces. And, and I think that that gives the Indians a huge advantage in this series, regardless of who comes out of it. But who would I rather play? I would rather face the Twins because their offense is slightly less intimidating. I know Miguel Sano is coming back, and I know they have some guys who can mash, but it's not like the Yankees. And I just like the fact that the drop-off between Santana and their number two is much bigger than the drop-off between Servino and Sonny Gray, Masharo Tanaka, little more intimidating pitching staff, and the Yankees have a much better bullpen than the Twins. So who would I rather face? I would rather face the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, uh, I think the, the Twins are definitely the underdog in, in this wild card game. I, I would much rather face them in, in a five-game series, touching upon the same reasons that uh, you just mentioned. I mean, Bartolo Colon would, would probably have to make a start in the ALDS. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, if the Twins get through and face the Indians. Um, the New York Yankees, yeah, Sonny Gray, Sabathia, Tanaka, those are, are are much better than whatever the Twins can throw up, but you touched upon it. There's Aroldis Chapman, Batansis, and, and David Robertson uh, in the back end of that Yankees bullpen, all three of them highly successful closers that can be dominant. Uh, I think if you see the Yankees get into uh, – 
the ALDS and, and move further, they're going to try their best to to imitate the the 2016 Indians and and really rely on their dominant bullpen as much as they can uh, due to a, a rather lackluster starting rotation. Um, that's not to say the Indians would be outmatched. I think they can match them move for move uh, in, in terms of pitching and are even better uh, front to back. Uh, but I just don't want to get into that battle where Indians have to face uh, Aroldis Chapman and, and David Robertson three times a night. Uh, you know, looking at the Twins bullpen, there there really aren't those intimidating names. Uh, the the Yankees have all the the the, the pedigree and, and, and the brand name, but this is really a, a young uh, position team. I mean, with, with with Aaron Judge leading the way and Gary Sanchez and Didi Gregorius. I mean, they're not exactly the intimidating Yankees of old. But there's certainly some, some raw talent there and some dominant bullpen pitching that I, I would just much rather not deal with as an Indians fan. Though that Aroldis Chapman thing didn't work out too well for the Cubs in Game 7 of the World Series. Uh, yeah, Rajay Davis taking him yard to tie the game. But we'll play the odds on this one. I agree with you overall. I do not want to see Aroldis Chapman. The, the bottom line is you're right, Bob. The Yankees can supplement their lack of pitching depth with a dominant bullpen, and I fully anticipate Joe Girardi to take a page out of Terry Francona's book from last year and utilize those big relievers very early in the game if any trouble happens. Remember game one of the playoffs, Trevor Bauer came out in the fifth inning. He went right to Andrew Miller the second Boston started getting something going. So I expect the Yankees to manage that way when Servino and maybe Gray aren't on the mound. And, and and I think the Yankees rotation, as I said before, is a little bit deeper than the Twins. The Twins after Santana don't have really anyone that's intimidating. And they had to throw Santana in that wild card game. So you're looking at only facing Santana once and you get to match up Kluber and Carrasco with, with two guys who just, just are not on their level. I would love to have that matchup if the Twins can pull the upset. And Bob, I'm just going to call the shot right now. Minnesota upsets the Yankees on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, anything can happen in one game in baseball. That's kind of the the reason why they built in this wild card game because uh, in years past when there have been playoff games to get to the postseason, uh, they've been wildly exciting, and you don't really know what's going to happen. I think if this were a series, the Yankees would be heavy favorites, but a a one-game outing, who who knows what's going to happen. So, yeah, I think uh, Twins definitely would have a chance to 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 beat the Yankees uh, I'm not really uh I'm not going to buy in on that though I would be happy to to see the Twins win I think the Yankees are going to win they'll go to their bullpen really quick in this game uh, if things get dicey or, or out of hand uh and I just think they have too much talent uh versus these Twins to um to, to not win this game we will agree to disagree then because I think Minnesota is going to shake off their angst of being tormented by the Yankees in the 2000s and get some revenge on Tuesday. Yeah, uh, historically, um, since 2002, the Twins are 33 and 89 against the Yankees as well. So it's about to uh, be 34. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, Chris, obviously, we will make the ALDS prediction with different teams in mind. But who uh, who's going to win the ALDS? Uh, Indians or wild card winner? I think the Indians will beat whoever comes out of the wild card game. In I think they will sweep whoever comes out of the wild card game. I'm just going to call it right now. I think the fact that 
the wild card team has to use their ace in this game is going to play into the hands of the Indians. I think the Indians are playing so well right now. I think they maintain their momentum in the playoffs and they will win in three games. Yeah, I think so too. How can you not think the Indians are are just going to ride through this ALDS? They look so dominant right now, are talented on all facets of the game. I I think they'll sweep regardless who who comes through, though I could see the Yankees uh, get in the game uh, if they get a lead early and turn to that three-headed monster at the end. But um, I'm predicting a sweep. Um, Chris, let's move out a little bit and and look at the rest of the MLB uh, postseason landscape. Let's start uh, with the other American League matchup. We know this one in the ALDS. That's the Red Sox uh, versus the Houston Astros. Who do you like there? This is going to be a fun series uh, because you've got two teams. You got first off, you got Justin Ver- Verlander invigorating the Astros. Dallas Keuchel, Lance McCullers. That is one heck of a rotation right there. Uh, the Astros' young bats, uh, Springer, Correa, Altuve. I mean, this is a team that that if the Indians weren't in the postseason, I would be all in on. Minus Justin Verlander, <laughs> and uh, then on the other side, you got the Red Sox, Chris Sale. A number of other guys. I mean, you don't need to go down the Red Sox names. They're on TV enough. Everyone knows who they are. Uh, the the fact of the matter is, I, I think the Red Sox have a bit of the edge in the bullpen. Uh, you know, Craig, Craig Kimbrell, a dominant closer. I, 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 I'm concerned about Houston's bullpen. I think this is going to be a nip-tuck series. I think this is going to go five, and I'm going to give the edge to Houston because they are at home for game five. I think Houston is the more talented team, the the, the deeper team. Uh, you touched upon probably has gives the edge to Boston uh, in the bullpen, but Boston has some really big guys on top. Starting with Chris Sale, uh, who has been everything but dominant uh, it, this regular season. We don't know what kind of postseason pitcher he he will be like, but you can't predict that he's going to be bad. I mean, you you have to be ready for Chris Sale to be dominant in the postseason. That's a that's a really big edge for, for the Red Sox. They have a talented lineup, um, but after after Chris Sale, I mean things get dicey for the Red Sox. Uh, Drew Pomerantz is probably their their number two guy at this point, uh, and there's a huge debate as to whether or not David Price is even going to be your number three starter, or if you're going to have him come out of the bullpen and try and be uh, the Red Sox answer to to Andrew Miller and and a Roldis Chapman. Um, which I find to be fascinating considering he's a $200 million pitcher that uh, isn't even warranted a, a starting spot in your postseason. But yeah, huge questions for the Red Sox in starting rotation. Um, if I could just cut in there real quick, Bob, uh, I don't, I think David Price is going to come out of the bullpen, but I think the reason is he didn't have enough time to build up his, his rehab assignment. He couldn't build up to starter level innings. I think that's the main reason why they're putting him in the bullpen as opposed to the rotation. Interesting. I mean, I know he's been coming out. Uh, he's been making appearances for for the Red Sox in games. I, I'm, I'll have to catch up on uh, his injury status, but th- there's a debate as to whether or not to start him in Game Three because I, I do think he would be at the neck at the point in his rehab to to make a start. Um, so th- that's interesting. I mean, and the, the the Red Sox after that, Rick Porcello hasn't had a good year. Neither has Doug Fister. So. Again, regardless of David Price's status, uh, starting pitching is a concern past Chris Sale for the Red Sox. So I have to give the edge to the Astros. I do think it's going to be a fun series, as you said. Uh, but the Astros just seem to be more well-rounded uh, in all facets of the game. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And 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 when I mean, 
let's just say Boston and Cleveland are there in the ALCS, man. You got Drew Pomeranz potentially pitching against the team that traded him for Ubaldo. Uh, there's there's a ton of storylines there, and of course the two favorites for the Cy Young. Um, but but hey, right off the bat, I mean hey, let's not forget Justin Verlander in September has found his Cy Young form because he's been outstanding. As much as it pains me to say that as an Indians fan, uh, so having to face him twice in peak form uh, compared to Chris Sale, who has not been in the playoffs before, Verlander has pitched in two World Series edge to Verlander and I just think the depth of the rotation with McCullers and Keiko behind him I, I agree I think Houston will win but I do think it is going to go five games would be quite exciting uh, series to, to watch for sure uh, let's move over to the National League now uh, National League wildcard game uh, both coming out of the NL West Arizona Dimeback- Diamondbacks versus the Colorado Rockies who do you have there this is going to be a fun one uh, I, I think this is going to be a very entertaining game. First off, division rivals, so that's always fun. Second off, you've got two excellent teams going at it in the wild card game here, especially Arizona. I'm going to give the edge to the Diamondbacks, but uh, I, I, honestly, I think this is a toss-up game. I, I, I do not know who's going to win, and I'm really excited to see how it all pans out, but I'm going to pick Arizona. Yeah, a huge edge to Arizona in terms of the starting pitcher, Zach Greinke, who's been dominant at home. He's going to pitch at home in this wild card game. Uh, In a one game off, I have to give the edge to the better starting pitcher, so I'm I'm going with Diamondbacks in this one. Yeah, I mean, that's a a big thing, too. The the only bad part about this is that Zach Greinke, if the Diamondbacks just played the Dodgers, how fun would it be to see Grinky and Kershaw match up twice in the playoffs after being teammates? You're not going to get that because he pitches in the wild card game. He he will only pitch game three against the Dodgers, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, but they built that in for a reason. They want that high stakes excitement. Um, so this is what you get. <laughs> Moving on to uh the known NLDS matchup, Washington Nationals versus Chicago Cubs. Who do you like there? Well, if Max Scherzer's injury is serious, uh, I think the Cubs will win in four. Um, If not, it could be a little more interesting, but I think the Cubs are getting hot at the right time, and I think the Cubs will take care of the Nationals in this series. Yeah, Nationals uh, cannot catch a break with that hamstring injury. It doesn't look like it's too bad, but it, it looks like Scherzer won't potentially his game one start uh, is in jeopardy as of this moment that doesn't bode well uh, the Cubs have been a much better second half team Bryce Harper has only had 18 at bats uh, coming off of his injury and there are a number of injuries uh, in, in their depth as well uh, affecting the Nationals I think the Cubs are, are set to take this one from the Nationals and then lastly uh, whoever wins that NL wild card be it the dot or the Diamondbacks or the Rockies they will face the Los Angeles Dodgers owners of the best record in the MLB who do you like in this one Chris I'm sticking my neck out here Bob because it could blow up in my face on Wednesday but I'm saying that the Arizona Diamondbacks are not only going to win the wild card game but they will beat the Dodgers in four Zach Grinke's revenge baby could be interesting uh <laughs> It's hard to, to pick against the Dodgers. They just haven't looked sharp in, in the second half. I mean, obviously that, that massive losing streak, but even uh, Kershaw coming back from the DL hasn't looked as dominant as we expected. That being said, this is still a, a Dodgers team that is stacked, and, and the Diamondbacks will be granky less uh, for, for one game. 
I, I got to give the nod to the Dodgers between Kershaw, Darvish, and the rest of that talent that they have on the team. I think they'll pull this one out. I don't think it's going to be easy for them, though. Oh, no, it's certainly not going to be easy. And don't sleep on Arizona's pitching. They got some good guys behind Grinky. And he'll still pitch one game. He just won't get to pitch two at full rest. That's an advantage the Dodgers have. But I don't think it'll come to that. I think they'll take care of business in four. Can you easily see that. Um, all right. Well, that is the first round of the MLB postseason. Uh, obviously, with the Indians being involved, we will be keeping a close watch on that. And hopefully uh, that ALDS round for the Indians is over pretty quickly. And that's for a good reason. Um, but moving on to some news. But moving on to some Cleveland sports news. Chris Dwayne Wade finally coming to Cleveland, uh, joining his best friend LeBron James in Cleveland for a, a veteran minimum deal after agreeing to a, a massive buyout from the Chicago Bulls. Uh, do you like this move? I mean, how could you not? <laughs> Dwayne Wade for the veterans minimum. Sure. I mean, as long as they're not paying him $24 million like the Bulls were, I don't care. Uh, this is a fantastic move. Uh, like we said when we when the, the rumors started a, you know, last week, uh, he brings a... He may not be the star he was seven years ago, but he's still Dwayne Wade. He's still an elite talent. And, and, and now you've got a lineup that, when healthy, would feature Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Kevin Love, Jay Crowder, Derrick Rose off the bench. I mean, that you're starting to look like a pretty stacked team, but most importantly, Dwayne Wade gives you another perimeter defender, when healthy, to help ease the burden on LeBron James. So now you, you go from having guys like you know J.R. Smith, Kyrie Irving, guys who just are not great perimeter defenders. Um, J.R. Smith is serviceable, don't get me wrong, but he's not a shutdown elite. To Dwayne Wade and Jay Crowder, a, a night and day kind of change. Uh, LeBron James now doesn't have to do all the work defensively, and uh, I think now you have some more horses that can match up with that four-headed monster in Golden State. I'm not saying they're better than the Warriors because they're not, but at least the Cavs are moving in the right direction. I mean, Bob, if you would have told me about six, eight weeks ago, whenever it was when Kyrie Irving made his demand, that they would come out with this roster after it, I mean, that this is about as good as the Cavs could have done. Yeah, for sure. And, and coupled this news with news that IT might be back in January, I mean, things are shaping up for, for the Cavs. Um, Dwayne Wade, look, uh, the, the move, I, I find surprising that so many people met it with such skepticism, uh, given the fact that the, it's not like the Cavs traded for Dwayne Wade. They, they signed him for $2 million uh, to play a, a very limited role. He's not going to be the number two guy as he was on, these heat on this Heat team. He's probably the fourth or fifth best player on this Cavs roster when everybody is healthy. This is a Dwayne Wade that, as the number two option on a subpar Chicago team last year averaged 18 points five rebounds and four assists a game averaged 15 points uh, against Boston in the first round of the NBA uh, postseason uh, and and pushed Boston to to the edge or pushed Boston uh, uh, in that first round kind of kind of surprising almost towards an upset um, Dwayne Wade is not the defender that he once was certainly not he gets uh, made fun of a lot in his old age at this point but I think Come time uh, in high leverage moments with the Cavs limiting his minutes, not having to rely on him as much as the Bulls did last year, uh, Dwayne Wade can certainly play some high-level defense. And it gives them one more athletic wing that, that they didn't have last year. It also gives the Cavs a ball handler and, and a playmaker 
that can uh, supplement the loss of Isaiah Thomas for the first few months uh, of the regular season. And I think that's something that uh, has gone overlooked by adding Dwayne Wade. Uh, you know, beyond Derrick Rose, you got Jose Calderon and, and, and Kay Felder as your other point guards. They're going to need to get creative with their ball handling. I think Dwayne Wade uh, gives you that. So, uh, yeah, it, it's pluses all around. It's not like the Cavs are relying on him to be uh, – 2008 Dwayne Wade or, or anything else uh, th- they know what they're getting they know how old he is and they know he can contribute a- in a limited role he can also make LeBron better I mean they are fantastic when playing together it's going to be really fun to watch yeah and, and you said it best Bob it's not like they traded Kevin Love for Dwayne Wade you know they signed this guy for peanuts in terms of NBA money and gave up nothing how can you not like this move? Dwayne Wade is still an excellent player. And when you go down the roster and you say that maybe he's your fourth best player, that's even better because he's still a, a really good player and you've got a lot of talent surrounding him. So, so yeah, I, I don't see how anyone can not like this move. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, with that addition, though, the Cavs certainly have a, a very full roster and will have to make some, some interesting decisions uh, coming out of training camp. Looks like there's a, a pretty hefty logjam. At shooting guard, you got Wade, J.R. Smith, Amon Shumpert, and, and C.D. Osman all vying for, for minutes at that shooting guard position. Chris, do you see a, a trade in the horizon involving one of these shooting guards? Probably not involving Dwayne Wade. Well, well I can tell you who's the odd man out in that four-man uh, uh, list right there um, <laughs> as far as minutes go. But, yeah, I, I certainly think that there's an opportunity for a trade. I don't Obviously, Dwayne Wade won't be on the market, but Iman Shumpert and J.R. Smith have contracts that could bring back a significant player, and they do have an unprotected pick from the next. I could see them packaging that pick with Shumpert or Smith, probably Shumpert. They would prefer Shumpert and maybe some other guys to make the money work to, to possibly add another big piece to this roster. I'm not going to speculate as to who or what, but there that is certainly on the table for the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have a very high-value asset, and they have contracts to make it work, and they have a logjam at shooting guard. Uh, the Cavs have ammunition to make a move if they want to add another significant piece to this team. Yeah, definitely. I think it's Shumpert. Uh, C.D. Osman uh, is, is a young talent that um, is relatively on the cheap. Shumpert is, is making $10 million a year over the next two years. Just hasn't be blossomed into the player that uh, the Cavs expected him to be or the Knicks expected him to be when they drafted him. Uh, he's just kind of plateaued, uh, and his value is decreasing every season. Uh, it, it, at least that's what it feels like. He, he just seems to be regressing a little bit. He's making $10 million. Uh, if you couple him with Channing Fry, that's enough contract space to get a max player back um, or get a $20 million player back. So combine that with the draft pick. Uh, that's that's your big trade right there. So I think Shumpert will be on the way out. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon unless there's a, a huge deal in, in the making. I think it's more of a trade deadline move, but I, I do think Shumpert is gone. And, you know, hidden behind all the drama of, of this summer for the Cavs, there, there is the rumor that Shumpert has requested to be traded. So I, I think I think he's definitely gone. Man, his trade request didn't get as much pub as Kyrie Irving's. That's kind of crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, kind of surprising. Um, all, all seriousness, though, I've been on my knees uh, praying for Anthony Davis to land in a Cavs uniform. That, that would just be if somehow they could sprinkle their magic fairy dust and turn Shumpert Fry in a draft pick into Anthony Davis – uh, yeah, that would just be amazing. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, 
that hey shoot for the stars right yeah um i mean that's wishful thinking i i think the the more realistic is his his running mate demarcus cousins who that deal would also get you there but obviously there's contractual concerns with him being uh, a free agent in in the offseason obviously what makes anthony davis more attractive is his long contract and also his immense talents and defensive capabilities over cousins but uh, I, I do think that Cousins is on the table as a realistic option. I mean, look, I, I'm not saying that they're going to get Anthony Davis. I'm just saying I don't think anyone would say that that's impossible, just given how New Orleans is not a good team. Maybe they see a chance to rebuild. I I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. It's it's a long shot, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, Yeah. I'd say it's out of the realm of possibility for the Cavs to get Anthony Davis. I don't think I think it's possible for Anthony Davis to be traded at some point this this regular season. I just don't think the Cavs have the 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 firepower to get him. I mean, you're probably right. I'm I'm not not necessarily disagreeing with you, but there have been some dumb trades in the NBA, man. Uh, that's all I gotta say. And the Pelicans have have, have made a couple, so yeah, who, who knows? Uh, <laughs> you might be right. <laughs> all right well chris one last piece of news coming out of Cavs training camp is that kevin loves slotted to be the starting center moving tristan thompson to the bench so you're gonna have a starting lineup of Derek rose maybe jr smith maybe Dwayne wade we're not sure at that point uh lebron james jay crowder and kevin love do you think this is a good move i, I think it's a good move in november and see if it works uh yeah try something different get some new lineups in uh, but but I, I think if you face a, a strong kind of rim protector like guy, I don't think you want Kevin Love in the post for that. He brings too much value uh, spreading the wing. Uh, so so I, I I think certainly you want to try it, and, and I, I I employ Ty Lue to just get creative with his lineups, and November December just throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Um, but but I I'm skeptical about it working just because. I don't think Kevin Love is the kind of guy you want to be playing center. I think his skill set is more you, – you can take advantage of his skill set more if he's playing uh, the four. Yeah, it'll be interesting how it works out in terms of rebounding and defensively, but offensively that's going to be a really fun lineup, uh, especially if Isaiah Thomas comes back and, and they run with that lineup. Uh, you got five shooters, uh, and if you keep J.R. Smith in there over Dwayne Wade, now you have five legitimate three-point shooters uh, in that lineup. Uh, with Derrick Rose in the lineup and potentially Dwayne Wade, from your guard position, you have two guys that aren't uh, the best jump shooters, so you need spacing, and LeBron you know, desperately needs that spacing, and Kevin Love being inserted into the five, bringing Jay Crowder off the bench into that starting lineup gives him that spacing. It's a little uh, unorthodox, but it could work out to some great dividends and give the Cavs at least a, a, a five three-point shooting uh, lineup uh, that they can use from time to time. Yeah, one last point I wanted to make about Dwayne Wade, Bob. How atrocious were the Cavs when LeBron wasn't on the floor last year? If you have Dwayne Wade running the team when LeBron's on the bench, which he could do in Miami and he did regularly in Miami, I think that that bolsters uh, their second unit and allows LeBron to spend more time on the bench instead of just running him into the ground because you know, when LeBron's on the bench last year, I mean, Kyrie Irving, when he ran the team, it's just they fell apart all the time, it seemed. 
Yeah, that that's a, a definite benefit, and I think it'll benefit Wade as well to to play against the second unit again. He he averaged eighteen points as the starting shooting guard for the Bulls last year. I think his efficiency is going to go up. Maybe his points will go down a little bit, but I think he's going to be effective for sure. Um, exciting, exciting stuff. Ever since the Kyrie news, uh, it's it really has been good news for the Cavs. So uh, I'm feeling good heading into the regular season. Oh, me too. But Bob, let, let's just just pause for one minute and realize that we just talked about Cavaliers training camp before we even got to the Browns. I mean, how bad is it up in Cleveland right now, man? It's, That's, oh my goodness. It's, it's really bad. <laughs> um, when you just revived Andy Dalton's career for the third time, uh, it, it's bad. I mean, he looked fantastic against the Browns. Uh, Browns getting blown out uh, by the Bengals 31-7 to uh, in week four. They're down, down to 0-4. The Bengals get their first win. Uh, Chris, is 31 to nothing heading into the fourth quarter, if not for a Duke Johnson touchdown at the end of the game with Kevin Hogan as your starting quarterback, uh, it, it would have been a shutout. Um, how, how embarrassing of a loss was this game? First off, not just that. It took them six chances in goal to score. They got a pass <laughs> interference in the end zone twice. Yeah, it wasn't just that they got a garbage touchdown. They needed, like, three mulligans to get that garbage touchdown it, 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 it for all intents and purposes they got shut out as far as I'm concerned that was just about as bad as it gets normally they save a performance like that for week 15 when the sealed season's done there it's like <sighs> I could go on forever but we don't have a lot of time left so I'm just gonna say this Remember a long, long time ago in 2014 when the Browns started 7-4, and four, Bob? Since that start, they are 4-37. and 37. They have lost 37 out of 41 games since starting 7-4 and four in 2014. That is unbelievably awful. Yeah, that's uh, atrocious for sure. Only 15 wins under the four full seasons of Jimmy Haslam, by the way. Gosh. 15 and 53. Man, that's a terrible billion-dollar investment on his part. <laughs> yeah, well, and man. seven of those wins came in one season. So you're looking at eight amongst the other uh, three and four games. Yeah. Because I kept counting the four games this year, too. That's That's bad. That's really bad. Uh, Chris, I, I, I got it. I mean, you lose a game like that against uh, a team that talent-wise is probably better than you, but had the same record. You thought you were, you were, you had a chance to win this game, and, and then and things are coming out. You know, Marvin Lewis telling Hugh Jackson, "Don't let them quit on you after this game." Hugh Jackson's job. I'm worried about it. I really am after this game. If if this is the the preview of the next three-fourths of the season uh, I think he's going to be looking for a job at the end of the season Bob over under 300 yards for Josh McCown making his return to Brown Stadium this weekend uh you know I'm gonna go over that's not to say that they're gonna get blown out um you know Andy Dalton didn't have to throw 300 yards to to crush the the Browns he he didn't even reach that record but I, I think the I, the Jets are, are, are talent-wise worse than the Bengals. Uh, I think the Browns will be more competitive, will actually score some points, forcing Josh McCown to actually throw for 300 yards. 
I think he's going to torch him. I, I think he's going over 300. <laughs> you think like as like a vengeance thing or? Oh, no, I don't think it's a vengeance thing. I just think he's going to play a really bad secondary and torch the Browns. Yeah. Well, good news. Uh, Miles Garrett will make his debut uh, against the Jets. So possibly this will be the boost and and, and, and that they need to get that first win. Uh who knows though? Are you are you predicting a win for the Browns? How can you? I can't predict a win for the Browns. I I, I can't do it. I I don't know which game they're going to win because they're not going zero sixteen. They're going to surprise one of these games, but I can't do it. I mean, how can you pick them after the way they've played the last two weeks? Really? I mean, the indie game and the Cincy game were bad. You can understand the Ravens on the road. I mean, the Ravens make you look bad when you play in Baltimore and, and, and Pittsburgh. They actually played really well, but. Uh, yeah, the last two weeks against sub against mediocre competition, they have looked less than mediocre. So I, I can't, I can't in good faith pick them. Yeah, I mean, how, how can you? Um, yeah, I think the Jets will win this game. Uh, I think they have a chance. I, I do. That the Jets are not that good, but um, how, how can you possibly predict the Browns are going to win this game? I mean, you said it, but I mean, the Jets are not a great team by any means. It wouldn't shock me if the Browns won, but I'm not going to pick it. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was, we we won't stop talking about the Browns, but you, you're probably noticing that we're talking about them less and less already. Um, that's just how the Browns season goes on this podcast. Uh, we 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 give most of our attention to winners, and we certainly have two good winning teams in, in Cleveland at this moment. And the Buckeyes down south uh, in college football are certainly winning as well. Shouting out the Rutgers Scarlet Knight, Rutgers Scarlet Knights, fifty-six to nothing uh, this past Saturday. Not surprising, Chris. Anything you want to talk about? The only thing I want to say is, uh, uh, you know, I was covering a game on Saturday, and a uh, guy in the press box with me looked at the score. He's like, "Oh man, it's only seven nothing." I was hoping the Buckeyes would be up sixty to nothing. I'm like, "Oh, what, 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 what quarter is it?" And he's like, "Oh man, there's ten minutes left in the first. I'm like, "They're not going to score sixty points in five minutes, man. I know Rutgers isn't great, but they're not that bad." Uh, I mean, as you can see, give them a full game, they do about what he wanted, and uh, you know, it's just go, you know, keep on rolling through preseason college football till we get to Penn State. Uh, I think Maryland's up next. Probably another easy win for the Buckeyes. Yeah. Yep, they're they're coasting through this part of the regular season. Not much to talk about with them. But there's plenty to talk about with the tribe. Unfortunately, we are have a we, we do have a quick programming note. Uh, we are off next week, so we will not be back until the ALCS and NLCS started. So hopefully we are still talking about the tribe making their run to the World Series, how, regardless of who they play. Uh, good luck to the Cleveland Indians while we take this week off. we got some travel going on. Uh, but you can catch up on all our old episodes of Clee Talk at FenleyRoadSports.com or search Fenley Road Sports through iTunes and click Clee Talk. It's just that simple. We also got some icons in the top right-hand corner of our website, FenleyRoadSports.com. You can follow us on social media, Twitter, or Instagram by searching Family Road Sports. We thank you for your support. We hope you come back next time, two weeks from now, for another episode of Clee Talk presented by FamilyRoadSports.com. And until then, go Tribe. I'll see you, Chris. Go Tribe. Take it easy, Bob.